What's up, Daw Nation? My name is Wyatt Troy, and I want to welcome you to episode 50.5 of Behind the Daw, where we usually interview music producers, artists, music industry experts, singers, songwriters, sound designers, basically everyone else in between, on an emotional, philosophical, artistic, and music business basis. But, as you notice, this is a .5 episode. That means we take the audio from our YouTube series, In the Daw, and we put it in a podcast form, so that you can partake of it on the go and get that perfect combination of emotional and technical knowledge. Now, you can watch this episode. You don't have to listen to it. You can and watch it. All you have to do is go to YouTube and type in In The Daw Multiplier. All the episodes will come up. You can see our entire catalog. We've had people like Kashmir, AU5, Said The Sky, Quicks, Grabbits, Mode Step, a whole bunch of others. Like the, the list keeps growing. It's absolutely ridiculous. So make sure to go check that out. Or you can just search all the episodes in our catalog on this podcast for the 0.5 episodes and you can just listen to them. Whatever you want. Totally cool with it. But nonetheless, in this episode, we have Delta Heavy and they're going to be breaking down their new song, Take Me Home. Uh, so what are you going to learn in this episode? You're going to learn about how to process female vocals. You're going to learn the difference in producing headphones versus producing in monitors. We're going to talk about working on music remotely and collaborating through Zoom, which is, by the way, how we record all of our episodes for In the Dawn Behind the Daw. We're going to talk about how you can collaborate with anyone in the world in real time through Zoom. It's absolutely incredible. And we're going to talk about layering vocals with vocoding. And of course, we're going to talk about a lot more, but those are some of the things that are absolutely beautiful. So we actually don't have a sponsor for today, so we're just going to go right into it. So Dawn Nation, I really hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, I got a new call to action for you. If you do like this episode, please share it with someone. Also, if you want to write a review on iTunes, if you love listening to the podcast on iTunes, that would be amazing. But otherwise, you know, wherever you're at, whether you're on Spotify or SoundCloud or iTunes or YouTube or wherever, go ahead and share this episode with somebody, someone that you really care about, that you feel like really need this episode. That's my call to action for you this week, Don Nation. So with all that said, with all that out of the way, let's get into this week's interview. I'm curious, what's your guys' favorite bit of the track, or do you not, not really have a favorite bit? It would be probably the vocal and the way the vocal reacts and sits with this kind of vocoded vocal we also have. That's my favorite aspect of the track. Really. Yeah, it's mine too. It's, that's kind of like the magic of the track that we started with. That was the seed that kind of spawned the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, the basis. It was the basis of the idea. That's That actually came before everything else, the top line and the vocoder. So you had the vocal, then you created a vocoded layer. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, so like we using um, Waves Morphoda. I got it from the idea from Hide and Seek by Imogen Heap. When that song, she runs it through like a vocoder and it's just, you know, it's a beautiful song. And so I just wanted to so I do a track like that and once wrote the top line, put it through that and then we wrote the rest of the track just around that kind of idea and concept. And did you just vocode it to the uh, the chords of the that you just have written for the song? Yeah, I think so. I think it was just, yeah, the, the simple chord structure that the music kind of follows as it comes in uh, behind it. It kind of sounds quite natural, like it is like it is sort of a, 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 like harmonies of, of voices. It's, it's quite crazy how it's not. What made you use that vocoder? Because certainly in Ableton, most Ableton people tend to use the built-in one. So um, does Logic have a built-in vocoder or anything? I don't know. I think it might do. Why did you use my vocoder? I just knew, I think it was the first one I just tried. Like I've, I've looked around for some other things in the past and they've never quite just sort of worked out how I wanted them to. And then when I just, I just tried Morphoda first and it was just, I don't know, it was, it was perfect for, for the job. So it's more by accident than anything else, really. Yeah, I've always been meaning to look into plug and vocoders, but I haven't quite got around to it yet. Logic kind of has one, but it's not It's not as in-depth. I think for the specific job as well, it's like if you're going for the sort of like, more like 
Daft Punk or the sort of the old R&B type of vocalist. It's a diff, you know, there's different types of ones that are going to be good for it. Whereas this is sort of a bit more just like a, a paddy layer and the Morphode is definitely really good for that. What was the hardest part of the track? You're just like, you dreaded about this track. What was the hardest part? We didn't have too many problems with this mix down. I always said, Ben, the challenge of, of mixing down as many possible layers and elements as I can throw at him. So there's quite a lot of stuff in there like what you can see in the project is sort of the final version so there's going to be lots of like grooves it's quite condensed this is probably i mean there's 71 tracks and that's probably down from probably 170 something like that the leads is like six different layers which has been bounced into one part i guess the most difficult thing with this track was the vocal processing the verse and choruses are sung very differently and in, in different voices jam's got a, but quite a high-pitched it's got like rasp She's kind of like she's got a kind of rasp, and it's quite. She's got there's a lot of high end brightness in her voice, which you, you want to keep, but it's about taming that. And for me, the the, the, like the vocal processing and a lot of different stages of processing that took the most amount of time. I actually did it in a separate project just to process the vocals. So very careful, subtractively cueing, and then just you know different stages of compression and warmth and all that good stuff. But it is it's kind of always when I work with her voice, it's taming the top. It's about taming the top end without sounding you know losing the breathiness or making it sound dull. So that that was the challenge in this track do you still have your vocal processing chain on here is it bounced out at this point it's bounced it's gone through i mean there's a bus there's some stuff on it it's kind of final stuff there's a few things but yeah this has gone through so many different things and you generally mix your vocal with the track in mind or do you just get the vocal sounding as good as possible by itself I'll and I will start with some basic processing the basics like you know eq dynamics and like a, a basic, a reverb, you know, a couple of reverbs, like a, a room and a longer one, like a plate. And with that in place, we'll get the vocal in the track and then we'll work more on the kind of style of it. I'll do a few things, so I'll kind of listen and get his feedback. And then we'll kind of tweak that in terms of doing more like, you know, like more effects, you know, modulation kind of stuff. And that will depend on the track and where it is in the track. And we'll have, you know, different treatments. The chorus will have different treatments sort of first ad libs and backing vocals will be treated differently i think as the mix develops as well you find that you need to sort of continue treating it so that it works with the mix at whatever stage the rest of the music's are i've got a couple of the chains that the vocal went through oh. it would have been something similar what, what, what's that need what is that a dynamics yeah, so yeah we've got um because i think these vocals were recorded just uh neumann u87 straight into the uad so i don't, it didn't go through a nice a nice preamp or anything thing just the need preamp just doing a bit of gain sounds nice so we're at ultra on a very clean setting i used to own it did have a preamp um, emulation i think on the way in culture vulture on a very clean setting i used to own the hardware of this but i sold all my hardware when i moved to la and i miss having it but i don't actually miss using it because software is a lot easier and you know what in dance music the five percent difference you're getting with hardware in the end you're not really going to notice I'd like to get some hardware again, but you definitely don't need it. Adding it just a bit of tube warmth and drive, very subtle, and then just initial very basic EQ, a couple of dips uh, in high end and rolling off the lows. Then a bit of OTT, which I wouldn't usually put on a vocal, but for some reason I did here. I don't usually use OTT on vocals, but I was obviously doing it at some point. Lexicon reverb, 
I think this is just doing a like a room setting. Uh, and then CLA, I don't know what, one of a kind of a preset edit. It's not really doing much. It's just doing a bit of stereo width. I don't, I may have taken that off. I may have gone back and taken that off. And then it's weird. Like there's, I must have done some more compression on a different stage. So I've got another chain. So that would be bounced down, another set of processing, just like a VCA compressor, quite fast setting, just kind of smoothing out a few quick transients. More EQ, just a bit of low mid shelving down. A limiter, probably just removing a few peaks. I like to have very, my dynamics very controlled in vocals, but just doing a lot of small bits of compression and limiting and never really hitting anything too hard, one thing, generally. When you do that and you put the, it's the first compressor that you put on a vocal, what kind of dB reduction are you looking for? Like how, how many dBs of reduction are you looking for? You know what, uh, there's not really, I wouldn't say more than like 10 ever on one compressor. You can't, there's not really a rule because everyone's voice is so different. A verse is gonna be sung softer, more quite often than a chorus and so you know i'll have different compressor settings on the verse and choruses and i'll i might even automate the threshold of the compressor for certain parts yeah i've just got i've just got some dynamic eq um on the upper mid range because it her voice tends to get a little piercing around like four or five k i don't know why it's not on this chain i like the 1176 obviously it's like a classic it's like an industry standard vocal compressor the vocals in the, in the final product of this episode the vocals that are coming from me right now is processed through an 1176 and we were you working with the the raw vocals or did, did, did they send them to you slightly processed you know we recorded this yeah this was all done in the studio together so basically the process would be i think Sai recorded the vocals with gem that day because I, I was not in london at that time the way we work so I, you know we got the recordings and then i think Sai did all the kind of comps that the takes together and did some fix any like tuning issues or anything <laughs> and then i he kind of sent them over to me and then i started working on the processing yeah what we normally do is i, I mean because I, ben is in la and i live in london we sort of you know we separate out and i do a lot of the, the vocal writing with the, the writers and vocalists so i'll do some recording comp everything together and then just as a quick vibe setter use like uh, isotope nectar 2 just to kind of like put it in a place where you can kind of feel the vibe and Sometimes we'll go a bit further. And sometimes, it, you know, Ben continues from a from an already developed point of production. And sometimes you go all the way back and just, you know, start again. It kind of, it really depends. Yeah, sometimes I'll like throw on like, like an isotope ne- nectar with just one of the presets we've edited, which will have, you know, some EQ compression, chorus, delay. And sometimes it just sounds good, so I'll leave it on there. Other times I'll like recreate it with different plugins, what it's doing. It, it all depends. Like generally, if it sounds good, it's like if it sounds good, I'm not going to go back and take it off and create more work because if it sounds good, it's it's good. So and also if it's if you've achieved sort of a certain sound or vibe, it could, it's it's very hard to recreate that um, exactly. So yeah. So in terms of dynamics, what I've been doing recently, I like two compressors generally. One part like 1176 this is like it's it's very much the attack all the way to the left release all the way to the right because it's it's actually which is slice attack fastest release it's the other way around on on this model um so i like i'll do like maybe up to 10 dbs on this like either four eight ratio so i really like the 1176 i would love to have a hard work like a like a vintage blue stripe and then I, i like a slower compressor after that really need to belly moving i i like the uad fairchild like a slower like tubey thing uh maybe like an la2a or i like the fairchild because it just sounds big and warm uh, but my favorite new vocal compressor i started using on absolutely everything that i'm obsessed with it's the best vocal compressor they've made in the plugin it's this um 
Greg Wells, who's a very famous, well-known mix engineer and producer. He got one of his, it's like an old 60s Altec tube compressor and the Acoustica guys modeled it. And it's just, it's El Rey, it's called El Rey. And for me, this is the best vocal uh, compressor I've ever heard in software. It sounds like a very expensive, I've owned like a Thermionic Culture Phoenix and it sounds to me like it's got that sound. It's got kind of 3D sound. Uh, it's really warm and it just, it's like, you put uh, I, it's like magic to me you just put it on with no gain reduction and it just makes everything sound better it's amazing on vocals so really I've been using the, this is all over the album all over the vocal tracks so yeah it's my favourite plugin at the moment my final vocal bus which is all the kind of the main vocals go through it's got it's got it on there I don't think there's any compression going on it's just running through just to give that a little bit of just very subtle it's just a, a little bit of warmth and it just it makes everything feel kind of 3D it's that feel that it's that thing that hard uh, like really nice tube uh, tube equipment does it gives the sounds this is a, like 3d feel it's hard to describe but it makes this it's a nice subtle difference and then i've got this soothe plug-in eek sound i only got recently but we've been using it on everything it's like a very clever dynamic eq ds kind of thing and it's just it gets, so it nice gets rid of all the resonant frequencies right isn't that like what it's it targets resonant frequencies exactly yeah i use it on absolutely everything we both use it all the time best plugins i've got do, do you guys ever disagree about sort of what to do to a vocal like does one person prefer one set of settings and one and another set or i don't generally not i think sometimes it's never a disagreement it's more like uh opinion and you know it's like so, so it will be like something you know I'm, I'm hearing something i don't quite you know i'm not quite liking something and it's generally it'll be like the type of re the like reverb tail is a bit long or something like that or we net we don't disagree it's like it's like what do you think about the vocal do you think we need some delay or something and maybe so i'll try put some stuff on it and i'll tweak it i can't ever remember a time we actually like disagreed about <laughs> i think like, i had an argument about, argument about, about, about a vocal i mean <laughs> disagree about plenty of other things in the production process but generally no never never I, I think we kind of from early on we've just had this sort of opinion that we both have to like stuff for it to sort of get through otherwise you know it's always obviously there's something lacking so you know one of us isn't feeling it and then the other one i think just by default is like okay that's that's fair enough because you're hearing something that's not that's not right so we should we've got to address it i mean that's it i just think in terms of vocals we're never doing anything to it that's that extreme because you know unless you're going for something crazy distorted that we've never really done or something oh, stylistically yeah. you know you're generally just trying to make it just present the voice as you know as, as naturally as possible and you know stuff like eq and dynamics is more about getting it to fit in with the rest of the music and sit nicely with the track i mean ideally if you've recorded a vocal well you shouldn't be you shouldn't have to do too much to it the next natural step in my mind is kind of like just the overall mix in general talk to me about like what were some of the mixing strategies that you guys did that you implemented in this song we basically have everything so i mean there's a lot of stuff bounced out i mean kicks and snares there would have been several layers it enables you to have a, like a cleaner project the computer behaves better it's a lot logic is a lot quicker when you've got less stuff going on there less processing but we generally have everything going into we bust everything generally and we have a, a template we both have a template we basically the same template we've set up we generally have around 10 to 12 to 15 buses and we'll bus generally bus the drums together sub or the 808 will have its own bus and then we'll bus together like high you know bass sounds or like any high-end lead sounds i mean this track is actually quite simple it's you know there's um the dme section has a sub the kind of trappier halftime section has an 808 then we have this kind of guitar lead that is 
is made up of a number of different elements. One, it's there's like a synth, and that's not a real girl. I think I think there's a I synth think it guitar. Was like, there was a few different elements. There was like a, a synthy kind of sound put into contact and like resampled and just stretched and really like unrecognizable from where it began. There was a real guitar sound, and then there was a kind of a more synth sound to sort of give it the, the strength and the backbone. So kind of it would stand above everything else nicely. We we generally have the same busing structure, but this is again this is like the final project that you're seeing so it will have probably come down and gone through lots of bouncing down and you know probably as much as like 20 buses yeah and sends as well we'll have a few sends here and there so yeah we have all these buses set up and it all they all kind of have final processing and everything we've got limiters on all the buses and you know to get our tracks getting loudness and dance music is all about certain stages you, you, you don't really want on your master if you've got a limiter we don't generally do com- have compression on the master it depends completely depends on the style though some tracks uh we do a little bit of bus compression i thought we found that um if you've got you know doing a little bit of limiting in certain stages on all your buses you, you it's more like a cumulative effect and you don't have to have anything slamming too hard on your master because that's when you're going to start losing i mean obviously our tracks pretty loud to be competitive in dance you, you need to have everything loud so there's not a lot of dynamics and i think everyone knows that but when you've got a limiter that's really will be a lot of doing a lot of game reduction in the master that's when you're going to start losing punch you're going to lose all your transits going to turn to mush and it's just going to sound like this kind of messy undefined distorted it also just means though, that you retain control over every aspect of, of the of the tune like if you need to go in and look at something you're not going to affect everything else like if when we sort of first started doing producing we were doing a lot more on the master and you know if you took the master chain off it sounded crap in comparison so it's it's, it's all about yeah control as well yeah control control exactly it means you know if we feel we're hitting the, the master a bit hot we can just pull down all the buses and every you know keep your levels it's all yeah control really are you never doing using the pro l2 mostly do i see or use other ones as well yes pro l2 um i've been getting into this new one by a company called newfangled audio which is some of the programmers from uh eventide who made made all the big you know harmonizers the hp thousand all these classic big studio things fx processors and it's kind of like it's very complex i don't really know <laughs> like it's really you know I'm, I'm still kind of learning it it's basically like a multi-band limiter and it's also got some multi-band transient processing in and it's got a clipper and i think it's got a like an, a like a saturator as well it sounds amazing and it's it's very complex and i've been using it as like a clipper i think I, I like to use it on drums because you can do a bit of transient processing and it's got a, it's got a really good sounding clipper which you know it's just cutting off uh not um dvfs uh it sounds really cool on drums but i haven't really started using it on the master yet because i haven't really got into it enough and i'm just too scared it's gonna have too much effect but yeah this is this and pro l2 kind of our limiters of choice so yeah we've basically got pro l2s on every bus a lot of them are just almost there for kind of safety uh, they'll, they'll be doing maybe just tickling one or two dbs taking a few peaks off what's going into the master is going to be jumping around a bit less it's just in so many stages of processing it's just shaving off a few peaks and you're going to have everything's just a lot more controlled and it's going to be you're going to be easy it's easier to make it loud on the kind of master Still stage retain all the goodness we started out producing we'd just be doing massive high shells and everything just because of like oh it's, you know but then you end up just if you 
boost everything, you're just taking away space for everything to sit together nicely. I think that's one of the things we've done over the years. It's better to, if things are kind of clashing or things are sounding a bit congested, I always err towards trying to take away from sounds and letting other sit, sounds sit in, in, in terms of frequency ranges. Leo just sent me a message and he said, speaking about mixing, uh, would you mind breaking down how you mix your drums? Like if, if your drums that we had in this session were not mixed at all, what would be the logical process that you would go through? I mean, we start out, generally we have several layers to the kick and snare depending on the track but I mean the snare especially you know you will, will have a, like a very short layer to just to give that kind of transient snap then a body layer and then something with a release and tail depending on how long, how long you want the snare to be with a lot more high end it's pretty standard like everyone kind of approaches this in a quite similar way kicks and snares and then in terms of mixing drums I don't know like I don't like to do too much obviously you don't want rolling off all the low end in like the hats and the cymbals <laughs> and the air layers because you know there's, there's no need for it to be there we find and we like our drums to sound quite clean so the main thing I'd say is sample choice so many of our drums we're like you know when we're like it's not we've played it live and you know we're like it's not something's not right here generally we'll go back and maybe try a different snare or it's it always comes down to sample choice yeah. especially with drum and bass as well actually like if you're finding that your track is just not sounding right it's like there's this sort of phrase everyone says it is like most likely it's your drums so all we'll pay attention to a lot and in terms of like because you know we've been doing this a while now so like the snares that we'll use I mean they've probably got like about 20 snares 30 snares they've evolved over the years so you've got lots of stuff that we sort of draw for regularly you know samples have got so much better recently that it, you are finding that you're, you're kind of spoiled for choice mess. really you don't have to do as much as you used to but yeah in terms of processing we generally sometimes we'll have the kick and snare or just the kick outside of the drum bus mostly we just it's just bust together and it's just doing some basic EQ bit of limiting uh, sometimes just some sim- some saturation there really is no rule we obviously we we play around with the tuning of kicks and snares sometimes they'll be the same as the, the in the same key as the track other times sometimes it, it, it works sometimes it, it's not necessary it depends I find sometimes with the higher snares because they're a bit more tonal you can actually hear the tone of them a lot more you want to find they you want to be in tune or part of the harmonic of the chord but well, yeah, it's well, also about I mean there's no point in it being in tune though if that that um, note of the of the drum isn't the best for the sound so it, I think you you want to you want to pay attention to sort of like that if it sounds odd but mm-hmm. I think it really is just a case of just just trial and, and error just trial and error <laughs> yeah is, um, yeah yeah as I says well definitely like if it's one of those like very resonant kind of more high pitched snares like that you hear in like fine. future bass a lot that will that will always be will always tune out and like percussion congas cowbells that kind of perk mm-hmm. that will always be tuned to the track but kicks and snares I mean you know it's like in like dubstep and drum and bass if for that heavy dance floor sound it's common knowledge you want your kicks you know kicks it's good to have your kick hitting the, the fundamental hitting around 80 to 100 hertz snares 180 to 200 hertz so we'll tune kicks and snares so they're hitting around that fre- frequency but I wouldn't say there's any kind of hard and fast rules it's just I would just always just play around with the tuning of hits and whatever sounds good go with it because we've been doing tracks recently with snares that are like peaking at like 500 
560 hertz. And that's because we wanted to go with that sound in the track. But it's just playing around with the tuning. And then suddenly you'll be like, that sounds right. That sounds right with everything. And if it's not in the same key as the track, if it sounds right, that is fine. So I wouldn't say there's any specific rules. It's just playing around and seeing what sounds good and trusting your ears, really. A while back, you mentioned how you threw something into contact and stretched it out. I feel like that's a really unique sound design process. Can you show us what that looks like? You don't have to necessarily do it, but just show us what that looks like because that, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I mean, we do we use contact a lot where you can manipulate samples. It's got several different algorithms for, for time stretching. We're always playing around with the speed of stuff that will, without affecting the pitch. I think that's that's why we always go to contact as a sampler, just because you can do that. You can slow slow and speed stuff down uh, without affecting the pitch, which is you know, a really useful tool. And like the Logic inbuilt sampling EXS, you can't do that. It's just you're just changing the tuning of it. So yeah, you've got this is. DFD mode is just like standard sampler where if you tune it down then the the sample gets longer if you tune it up it's going to get shorter and then there's some different time machine modes I will both switch between like two time machine two and pro pro is probably better for something more like paddy sounds or vocals where you've got lots of different notes or like lots of harmonics if you're using more of a bass sound time machine two seems to be better because if you used it in pro you get these kind of just top fuzzy artifacts and it would make the base of the sound a bit more watery so Tonkin 2 seems to kind of keep a bit more of the, the power and strength of it when you're kind of mixing especially when you're like mixing that with other sounds that you've got it means that you can kind of line them up together nicely so that they've got a similar kind of like either attack or like decay a really cool little tool and then you can lay you know you can like layer I think when we built the lead for the first drop it was a case of like layering up a few different um, sounds together in contact and just getting them to sit together yeah and like recently I've started doing stuff like went through splice got some really you know the best some of the best sounding 808s and I put them all in a contact and it means you can just audition them in your track you can change the pitch of them you can change you know you can change the length of them individually and then you can just go through and just try out different ones then you can actually layer them up in contact because you can have you know like the low end from one but you might want some of the nice distortion from another one so it's a really good way of auditioning it. And then, you know, we'll take them out having separate tracks and, and using separate them tracks more, yeah. and process them separately. If you get the kind of native instruments complete, you get the most, I mean, it's, it's like 80 gigabytes now or something. You just get the most vast library, great string board, there's some really nice new pianos we just got recently that I'm sure we used on the album. Lots of like world instruments, stuff that sometimes, you know, you're not going to use some kind of ethnic percussion in every track, but sometimes it's exactly what you need. And just having that, having that option, you know, knowing that's there is really, it's a really handy tool. Because Logic doesn't do quite the same as Ableton, I think Contact is, give, is adding that sort of element to Logic. You can do in different ways in Ableton. Even when I've used Ableton, sometimes it's it's just like trying different sources, uh, different ways of processing sound because sometimes contact for some reason won't make a sound it, it ruins the sound that Ableton doesn't vice versa like is you, you got to sort of like try different methods to kind of make stuff work sometimes is there anything that you guys do that you think is almost like technically wrong but it kind of work, works for you or is it all pretty pretty standard what, what you normally do in, in terms of like sound design songwriting or anything really 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm sure I'm yeah. sure there's plenty of things that aren't conventional, like maybe a traditional mix engineer who worked with like I don't know, jazz or country music would look at how hard we're hitting our master and I guess the amount of like distortion we use, but I mean, I think that's very common throughout electronic music. Trying to stop myself from using multiband compression so much because it's it can be an instant vibe setter, but it's totally wrong, especially when you get to the latter stages of mixing. It's the worst thing to do. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say but, it's just there's there's no rule, there's no right or wrong. It's like if it's working, if it sounds good to you, that's like just but you know, I, I, I just don't think there are any rule in making music, especially dance music. It's um, just funny though, because you, you might do some things wrong that you don't think are wrong at the time, but later in the process, you see how they, they've affected kind of like obviously because you know, we have to make everything so loud, which requires so much, you know, limiting and compression at times. You then sometimes have to go back and adjust those things, and that's something you know, you've kind of we've learned on the way just what to do early which will make your life easier later do you measure loudness or get someone else to master your tracks or we started mastering them yeah we um yeah, this last album we, we did ourselves. We basically, I, I use a plugin adapter. It's a plugin alliance. It's like a just comparison plugin. So we basically just compare to our own release tracks for levels. And it's just got, it's got very good metering and it, it meters in luffs. I've started it like, I look at LUFs now rather than RMS. Basically, in terms of loudness, we just really compare to our own stuff that we're happy with. And that we've had, I mean, we, we, we've got a good relationship with the master, mastering engineer who still cut all our vinyl releases and having been in a session with him seeing what he did it was pretty similar to the kind of stuff we do and you know we picked up a couple of techniques from him and from sending stuff to him and seeing him literally not really do too much to it this is another thing that's like you know tradition traditional music production the process would be you'd have a track put together by a producer that would be sent on to a mix engineer who would then give it on to a mastering engineer but I think dance music producers tend to you know the dominant trend is to have kind of your master Mastering plugins on your master from the get-go and so everything is you know from, you can get ideas sounding kind of big and loud quite quickly and we definitely we started doing that you know a good five six years ago i mean half the dance music stopped. half the sound is in the mix anyway it's about the energy and the power that you get so you kind of you have to you have to do it as you go so if you're writing a track with some plugins some limiting some stuff on the master from the start if you take it off at the end you're going to lose the sound you've been achieving and then i don't think then sending it to a mastering engineer with loads of dynamic that which is not you what found you were trying to achieve you're not going to get the right result and the, at, the, at the end of the day I think it's we know the sound we want to get out of it you know we want we know the sound we're aiming for and part of that is just the way we process everything and bust everything and send everything to the master which already has plugins on it from, from the moment we start making the tune it's like we know how we want the thing to sound because we're also testing them out every week in clubs so we, we, we get that exposure you know we, we we actually write on headphones at the moment so the fact that we can test that everything out weekly in the clubs it gives us that insight that you maybe would get from going to mastering engineer with full range you know fifty thousand pound pmc monitors we used to rent a studio in london which we stopped because it was prohibitively expensive these are the lcd x's doing the early stages of the tunes in the headphones and then referencing our monitors and we just quickly noticed that everything started to sound better um doing it that way it was also it was like a case of circumstance as well like i had a home studio after we kind of moved out of this rented studio i went back into having like my studio in a second bedroom and then I like sold that apartment to move to LA. And so at that point, we were doing a lot of stuff remotely and on the road. We were actually, you know, I think we did a, had to do a remix fully in a hotel room 
from doing that, we just found that we actually really were liking the results and how our tunes were sounding just producing with the with the Aldis. I think it's actually Aldizy, but I've always said Aldis, so that's, <laughs> it, it is Aldizy. I went down to their factory. I kept saying Aldis, and they were like looking at me with as well. But yeah, and we, we were like, we're making really good decisions mix-wise, just using these headphones. We'd never look back if we had to pick one tool that is invaluable to us, apart from, you know, the things we need, like the DAW, the Aldis headphones are just absolutely phenomenal and you know they take out all the you know to have a room have your room like the room causes so many it's like you're not really hearing the speaker properly if you're in an untreated room and it's so hard to treat a room effectively and you know basically flatten out the frequency response to the room and having you know working with headphones especially the quality of the ODs you take that completely out of the equation and you're hearing exactly what you're hearing and it's just it's also you know it's very liberating to know that you can pack your ODs pack your laptop and go and do this as good a job at producing music wherever you are don't do it on a plane because they're open back but like you can be anywhere else yeah i mean i've just got like an apollo twin so that or these laptop and you can make fully 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 professional music yeah i mean we both have the same setup now logic and we use ableton too but we both have uad interfaces so the same plugins so we'll work on a track have everything in a Dropbox so it's we can access it constantly. We can literally be working on stuff simultaneously, <laughs> remotely. We have the same tools, same, you know, we use the same things. So it, it, it means in terms of like recall and all that kind of stuff, it means there's nothing holding us up from being like super productive. Because Ben is in LA and I'm in London and we're on different time zones, it is quite cool to sort of, you know, spend the day work. I'll be working during the day and then, you know, Ben comes online, we'll have a little chat about what's happened and then you can continue sort of working through the night and with the same setup, literally everything's just uploading to Dropbox immediately. So it's it's kind of just like you're on the same system. Yeah, it's, it we found through experience, this is definitely a very efficient way to work and it works really well for us. I Zoom actually, which we didn't use until... Yeah, we've been using Zoom and this other thing called um, Loopback. You're working together through Zoom. So like, exactly like, like this. I've and been like controlling Ben's computer so, from yeah. here in America and like writing music so yeah it's just weird how like it's a bit of a game changer we used to do it in a room together on a computer and now we're doing it like ten thousand miles away but together on the same computer and hearing the same stuff it's it's been a time save as much as anything because it means that you can really kind of make decisions together in real time being able to sort of do that from anywhere in the world it's made things a lot easier i mean i think it's the vocal we've never really done anything like this before with a vocal where it's kind of most of our vocals are fairly standardly produced. It's just, you know, there are some effects, I guess, or like you can do some weird pitching with it. But I, I think the track really started from this, this seed idea. And, you know, there's just some reverb on it, nothing, no delay, not much chorus. So it's, it's a fairly kind of just standardly produced vocal. The vocoded layer is very wide as well. Yes. And so, I mean, usually we'll have, we'll have like, We'll add width to a vocal. There's like so many ways to do it. You can have panned layers that you're just slightly pitch shifting off each other. It's it's like how a, a harmonizer works. Or we'll actually just have natural doubles. We'll hard pan. But with this, the vocoder was naturally very wide and we wanted to keep all that width. It's also got some quite low mid width, which is not something you always want to have. But this, it just makes it sound really full and warm. The combination of the two things, it just, for us, it just brought, brought, brought the track alive. And it gives it this like, very ethereal, magical quality. And it's the way they, it's, 
it's adding harmonies and this vocal yeah, more. Got like a really huge sound in quite a different way. So I think this is our favorite part of the track. I think vocal was actually kind of more traditional, just done with lots of layers. Four or five layers. But it's like octaves and harmonies and like natural panning. So often with like some of these dance records and stuff like that, you're kind of like, it's, it's just about the pure top line. It's not really about the additions. And then sometimes when you're writing or writing music afterwards, you sort of start finding that you want like either doubles or sort of other little bits. So you, uh-huh. sometimes you have to create them artificially using like octaving, just like pitching down, pitching up, and then the harmonizing, panning and creating these artificial uh-huh. doubles, which is like, you know, it's, it's great to be able to do that, but there is no kind of, the best way is to create these natural doubles create such a big sound you've got the the lead hook which is very it's very bright and quite compressed and very upfront and then the uh the harmony layers it's it's like a question answer and um, but they're wider and a bit softer they're a little bit more dynamic so you have this nice interplay between the two things and i think you, you kind of get that in a lot of traditional pop production we employ some different kind of techniques on this track some which are a bit more unique and then some which are more kind of standard like pop production so yeah it's cool like we're both really proud of how it came together did you have a good time yeah yeah yes yeah. it's, it's really nice i mean we've been doing press all day and it's literally the same questions like how did you come up with the album like how do you feel about like you know where what did you how did you start producing and it's actually really nice especially for a geek like me to <laughs> get really technical uh, and talk about how we made the tracks we don't actually and get that opportunity a lot. Hey, Daw Nation. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode of In The Daw with Delta Heavy breaking down their song, Take Me Home. Again, if you are interested in the AU5 Ableton Sound Design course, there is a link down in the description. For those who don't know what that is, it is a course featuring AU5 showing us how to make the craziest sounds possible using only Ableton devices. We've had over a thousand people sign up for it. We are currently just stuffing it full of extra content. We got feedback from the community, from the people who have taken it. We've got a bunch of feedback. And now now we're going and recording more videos that are suited to that feedback. So I'd highly encourage you to go check that out. If you really want to know how to do crazy sound design using the most basic effects, beautiful, check it out. Link in the description. Also, if you want to check out the Patreon, the Patreon is awesome and we're always updating the Patreon. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's where we provide exclusive rewards to people that support us. So for example, if you want to donate a dollar a month, $5 a month, however many you want, there's, there's a whole tier on top of that. If you want to do that, that's freaking amazing. And we will rewards you. You know, we're doing live streams with these interviews. Uh, we're working on a private community. We had one on Discord. Uh, we didn't really like the platform, so now we're kind of moving it to Facebook groups. So we're, we're working on it. We're trying to do new things all the time to not only, you know, create exclusive content for you, but to create a community. If you want to check out the Patreon to help keep In The Dawn Behind The Dog going, that'd be absolutely awesome. There's a link for the Patreon down in the description. Seriously, only if it's a dollar a month. We would absolutely love it. We'll announce your names on the podcast if you sign up for it. So go ahead and check check that out. Also, by the way, I just opened up my registry for private lessons again. If you want to take a private lesson, awesome. Link in the description. By the way, if you like this episode, please like, comment, subscribe, repost, follow, you know, whatever is appropriate on the particular platform that you're listening on. If you really like this episode, go ahead and add it to your Instagram story. That's so cool. If you're listening in Spotify, you just hit share and it goes straight to your Instagram story. And there's a little button that pops up that says play on Spotify. It just helps us know that what we're doing is moving in the direction that you need us to donation. And finally, I would highly encourage you to check out the last episode of Behind the Daw. That episode was with Holly, who's an absolutely insane, talented, uh, innovative producer. In that episode, we talk about how having faith in a higher power influences your music career, how the price of your new life is your old life, and how Holly 
doesn't hate anything. It's absolutely intriguing. It's mind-blowing. I'd highly encourage you to check that out. There's a link in the description. You could also just check it out on any podcast app currently that you're listening on. So, Don Nation, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Behind the Don. Like I mentioned, we don't have any sponsors this week. So, thank you so much, Don Nation, and we'll talk soon.